Hello and welcome to your Over the Farmgate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian and the CLA. We're your hosts for this week. It's me, FG News Editor Olivia Midgley. And me, Farmers Guardian Editor Ben Briggs. We'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday. So make sure you subscribe, whether that's via Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher or Acast to ensure that you keep up to date with all the new episodes. Coming up this week, well, Cedric Porter joins us from FG's business desk to find out how the markets are faring as we enter the third month since lockdown. And there's a bit of good news on the horizon in terms of prices. We also speak to a young farmer who is literally brightening up the days of the towns and villages he drives through thanks to his specially liveried tractor in tribute to healthcare workers. But first... While the sunny weather has been welcome to many, especially as it came on the back of one of the wettest winters on record, we are now facing one of the driest springs we've seen for some time. May was officially the sunniest month since records began, and with only a little rain on the horizon, things are looking pretty desperate in some areas of the country. Jess Fredenberg speaks to two farmers to find out what the impact could be on both the arable and livestock sectors, and asks what more needs to be done to ensure that the UK is more water secure. CLA members own or manage around half of the rural land in England and Wales and run more than 250 types of businesses. The in-house professional advisory team offers members independent and impartial advice on every aspect of land ownership and during this Covid crisis the CLA has never been more important to landowners of any size. To find out more go to www.cla.org.uk. Is that the sound of rain? Yes, yes it is. And if you two have forgotten what rain sounds like, it's not surprising. That sound effect is downloaded from the internet because according to the Met Office, the UK as a whole had only 40% of its average April rainfall, with Scotland and Northern Ireland suffering particularly badly. May as well has not been any better, with the worst affected areas, the east and southeast of England, receiving just one millimetre of rain. That's 6% of the normal amount for the month, according to the Environment Agency. Now, many farmers across the UK are obviously getting increasingly anxious, with charities warning of mounting pressures. Forage Aid has urged livestock farmers to start planning for continued dry patch and we'll hear more from them later about what producers can do as well as why the UK government needs to really get its act together in terms of water security and planning. But first, I caught up with one farmer whose farm was several metres underwater just a few months ago. How things have changed about 500 acres of land that we rent from the Duchy of Cornwall. Uh, We grow wheat, barley, oilseed rape, sugar beet and attempting to try and grow soya. We've gone from the wettest winter and being about 10 feet underwater to now one of the driest springs on record and our crops are really starting to suffer. This is Ali Hunter-Blair who farms near Ross and White in Herefordshire. You may have seen his drone footage back in February skimming over more than 150 acres of flooded farmland. Ali, I know you've been battling with the irrigator today. Is it is it all set up? I mean, it was working when I came in, but that doesn't mean that by the time I go back out again, it'll be working. Our irrigation kit is 
old at best. The pump is a 1960s combine engine. So the fact that it even started is a miracle. Yeah, and we don't tend to use it, really. We don't tend to be this dry when we're so close to Wales. But here we are. So we've got the kit here and I don't know whether it's actually cost effective or anything like that, but it's making me feel a damn sight better putting some water on these struggling crops. Is there any sign of rain at all yet? Yeah, this time I am looking at every forecast that I've got and they are all saying dry and just dry for the foreseeable future. I mean, it's, well, my weather station is saying 25.4 today. I mean, it's lovely. It's like being on the Costa del Sol. But yeah, the crops are struggling. Our last significant rain was on the 28th of April, which is what, exactly a month ago. And before that, we'd had really tiny, tiny bits of rain. So it's just incredible how... If you'd asked me in the beginning of March whether we would ever need rain again, I probably would have told you no, because the, the farm was still underwater on the 12th of March. And now here we are two and a half months later, and it's just dry. It's just really, really dry. And I think actually we're, we're probably a bit better off than some of the guys over in the east. So how are the, the crops faring that were on the, the floodplain and other areas of land that got flooded? Yeah, the Riverland fields now, are. we replanted them in end of March, early April. It's amazing how quickly it does dry out. Yeah, we, we've got a new type of drill, so we went straight in with this sort of try not to disturb the soil too much, yada, yada, yada. And yeah, now they look fantastic, to be honest. They're all in spring barley, which has absolutely knackered my rotation going forward because I've not really got any good ways out of spring barley apart from rape, which I can't do. But yeah, they look green and marvellous, actually. And actually, in comparison to the... We've got we've got two halves of the farm, I suppose. The the Riverland in a wet year is a disaster, but in a dry year it's our best field. And then the top land, as we call it, is is a really light sandy soil. So that in a drought situation, that is a nightmare. But in a in a wet situation it keeps draining. So depending on how what sort of mood I'm in, it's either the best of both worlds or the worst of both worlds. Um this year it's currently proving to be the worst of both worlds because we've flooded all winter and now we're droughting out. But yeah, those riverland fields are out now actually looking, they're looking good. And if, if we do stay as dry as these long range forecasts seem to say that we're going to stay as dry as, those will be the fields that probably are our get out of jail free card. I mean, what are the, the fields that are not by the river? What are they looking like? And what have you got in them at the moment? So yeah, so the top land fields, we were very lucky. We managed to get all of our wheat in bar the riverland, which obviously died. So we, I mean, I say planted, we mauled wheat into the ground in the end of October and then some in November. And then we've got a lot of spring barley this year, which is annoying because it went in really, really well, um, straight in again direct. So we didn't move the soil too much, which I think is important now that we're droughting out. And my view is that the spring crops that we've got, so the sugar beet, we've got the other two crops of the sugar beet and the soya, and they are loving life. The soya, which is designed to grow in South America anyway, and whether it's actually worth growing here is debatable but it loves heat just loves heat and it's the best establishment i've had had a soya growing in four years which is which is great so the problem is it doesn't make me any money so um and the beet again well the sugar beet well you know norfolk the sugar beet is a desert crop really it loves sand uh, it loves warm weather so that's that's really lapping life up which is great the spring barley is just really starting to struggle my view is sort of though that the so the winter crops went in really really wet and they stayed wet all winter obviously and for that reason they haven't really rooted because they haven't needed to the crops just haven't rooted down because all of the moisture and the nutrient they needed was up in that top sort of six inches and then as the moisture is now just drained away from them they haven't got the root structure to sort of absorb it whereas the spring crops have gone into a, a rapidly drying seed bed and 
for that reason, I think it's all theory, but having a dig around as well, is that the roots are now, the roots have been tracking down to that moisture the whole way. So as it dries out, they're, they're sort of following it down. So there's a chance that they hold on, but for them to do anything, we need rain in the next three weeks, I'd have said. Otherwise, it's going to be, yeah, really serious. But the winter crops, the wheat is just starting to, well, we'll be flowering this weekend. And so we're irrigating. That's what we're irrigating. Why are we irrigating it? Because we've got the kit and it feels better to do something than do nothing. Is it worth it? Probably not. But I don't know. There's something about, I think I think many a farmer, if they had the option to, would probably try it. I think you've got to try it in this sort of year. The kit's all old. It's all depreciated to very little. It's my labour, a bit of diesel, and the abstraction licence that we already pay for. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a difficult one. Is it making you think, you know, longer term, how you might farm differently in terms of, like, soils, in terms of different types of crops? Because obviously this is this is going to be probably a reoccurring thing right i don't think it's a case of instantly go right i have to change my entire farming system because we've had one bad year but also i've got to appreciate that i can't just bury my head in the sand and be like oh it's not going to happen again it's not going to happen again because it the chances are is is that it will we already limit what we put down on the riverland anyway we try and keep a rotation that's something that we've we've always tried to do is to keep our farm afloat we think that a wide rotation is is very important you know don't end up in a two crop system we've always had five crops minimum sometimes six seven from my point of view what we're looking at take the riverland out of it is that we are now not plowing we're not cultivating we're trying to increase our organic matters meaning that hopefully as we do that we can store more of this water in the soil which stops it going through to the river in theory you know through groundwater and also it means that I can see it at the moment we've got a farm that is a part of our FBT which was a dairy farm which has had 30 years worth of 40 years probably worth of dairy muck and slurry and FYM applied to it and those fields are sort of three and a half four percent organic matter and they're holding on that they look like a totally different farm even though they're only a hedge difference whereas our sand which hasn't it's had a bit of FYM but We've really probably over over cultivated it in the last 50 years with only 1.5% organic matter is really starting to struggle. So I think there's there's an element of saying, right, okay, and there's, you know, the buzzword is soil health. But again, that's very difficult to measure. It's trying to work out. For, so from a farming point of view, from a business point of view, I want to inc- improve this, the water holding capacity of our soil because drought, whatever, whether it be a drought like this or whether it be a normal summer, is always the limiting factor for our yield. It's always what we, what we need more of. And if we could increase the capacity of the soil to hold it, and if we can get rewarded for doing that because we're also ca- capturing carbon and everything else by doing that, then I think there's probably there's probably some legs in length in that. You're still ploughing on, and so are we. Get Farmers Guardian delivered directly to your door every week and access the latest news from the world of agriculture 24-7 through fginsight.com. Simply subscribe to Farmers Guardian. Check out our latest deals at fginsight.com forward slash subscriptions today.
Now, livestock farmers will, of course, be watching their grass growth carefully and thinking ahead as to what this dry weather could mean for forage. Already, Charity Forage Aid has warned that some farmers are reporting grass growth to be 40% behind the long-term average. And of course, as time when demand is increasing following lambing and calving. So to talk about this more, I'm joined by Forage Aid founder and chairman Andrew Ward. Andrew, hello, how are you? Hello, Jess. Very good. Thank you very much. What are livestock farmers telling you about the situation for them right now? It's interesting. We are in contact with with the quite a lot of livestock farmers because we're still finishing off delivering silage to the farmers that were flooded in Matlock and uh, Reith near near Richmond in Yorkshire uh, from those floods last year. Which is really strange to think we're talking about drought or dry in one sentence, and then we're looking at the floods in another. And so because of our contact with them, they are extremely worried that their grass is really short. They've nearly all still got cattle inside. I was talking to one yesterday and he hasn't turned his livestock or his cattle out yet. And the problem is, of course, the lambs grazed all the grass off and they've grazed it very short. And he was telling me the grass is so short that all the sheep droppings are there and visible because the grass is just so short. It's not growing. And so there isn't enough growth to turn his cattle out. So, of course, that's impacting on his feed and his silage. And so he's having to feed them a lot longer than he would have done. And in some cases, buy in. So it's just really one disaster after another, really, for the poor livestock farmers. And are are people ringing you from across the country or is, is there a particular region where people are really suffering? No, it's every region, really. We're getting calls dotted about from everywhere, but we're not getting too many calls at the minute due to the the drought, dryness or the drought. Calls at the minute are sort of, some of them are uh, COVID-relating and they're saying that they're suffering because of that and they couldn't get the feed bought and things. So it's that sort of thing. And there's also obviously financial issues. We're getting farmers ringing up saying the, the cattle are in longer than they need to be and they can't afford to buy the silage and can we help? Well, you know, at the moment we can't because we're an extreme weather event charity at the moment. And so we refer them then to the farming helpline if it's a financial situation uh, where one of the other charities that we work very closely with can help. Going forwards, though, I mean, like you said, it is, this has come off the back of a very wet 2019. You know, what are the repercussions as we go further into the year and, and towards winter then? It's a very worrying situation, really, because... Uh, obviously I'm an arable farmer and, and we produce grain and straw here and because of everything that's gone against us the straw that we're going to be producing uh, this coming year is going to be a lot, lot lower than, than normal and obviously winter crops produce the best straw there's very few winter crops planted spring crops yield less straw anyway so that's a reduction but then we've got a further reduction because of the spring crops were, were planted late but then we've had a further reduction because of the dry weather. So really, we've got the absolute worst scenario possible for producing straw. And it's this that is really worrying that the straw availability, we feel, is going to be so low, probably the lowest we've had for a number of years for the livestock farmers. And it is extremely worrying. And I know that Forage Aid has been encouraging livestock farmers to start planning for the dry spell to continue. What can people do to manage that situation 
It's extremely difficult when you start looking at it because nobody wants to sell stock. And, you know, you build up stock over years and a lot of this stock is generations of breeding. And uh, so the last thing a farmer wants to do is look at selling stock. But sometimes that's what you have to do if you if you want to get through it. But it's a case of assessing what grass is available on the farm for a start to see what the grass is and how, how good a condition it is. And is there any carried over feed from last year? Have the farmer got any silage carried over? And then I suppose when you start looking at, at stock is prioritise the stock what you have. The breeding stock obviously is, is most farmers uh, jewel in the crown and, and you, you don't want to get rid of that. But then there might be odd cull ewes and cows that you, you need to get rid of. And so that's, that's a possibility. And then just look at the grazing you've got and try and uh, give it a chance to recover. But it's very difficult when, when the, the sheep have grazed it down, the lambs have grazed it down, and you've got um, a, a lot of cattle in the shed making a noise, want to go out, and, and you can't. So it, it is an extremely difficult situation. And, of course, the other thing is, is supplements. You, know, you can always supplement feed with things, but, of course, that requires cash to buy the concentrates and things. So it, it is a really difficult thing looking forward. But all we do say is try and contact your straw merchant or your, your silage merchant and just try and get orders in what's available. But even he, you know, he'll be, be suffering and, and not be able to lay his hands on the normal quantities. But it's a case of getting that phone call in early to try and plan ahead. Looking much longer term on all of this, you just said that Forage Aid was an extreme weather charity, basically. We, we know from the science that extreme weather events are going to become more frequent and more extreme. So where does that leave us in terms of things like a, a, a real response to this? Because at the moment it feels like, you know, charities like Forage Aid are having to really like pick up the pieces there. But in terms of, you know, strategy, like for like the UK longer term what what do you think would be helpful it is another difficult one to look at because like you say the weather is becoming even more variable than uh, normal and the prolonged dry periods and prolonged wet periods are becoming the norm now rather than the averages and so I think it's always a question of not if is, uh, is anything going to be required, it's when because it always will be now We've got, we're into that sort of pattern and that the weather scenario and I think it's so difficult planning forward and just looking at what we're going to get weather-wise. But for us as a charity, we know from our experience, obviously we rely on donations from the, the, the farmers around the country. And it's a mixture of livestock and arable farmers that donate to us. But we do know that in a drought, we have far more difficulty accessing anything to donate free to farmers who are affected in a drought than we do when we have a flood. It seems crazy, doesn't it, to go from a year that was so wet to now so dry and for the, the drought to follow such a wet period and that be a problem. We don't, we don't have the infrastructure, do we, to be able to collect that water and then distribute it where it's needed. You know, what is, what is really needed here on a, on a national level? Uh, you, you've, you've hit it really on the head that it's exactly what is needed. It's the collecting of the water. And when you look at it now that we're outside and looking out the windows here and it's 25 degrees in the shade and we're crying out for water, crops want to drink. And yet in November, December, January there was just billions and billions of cubic metres of water went out into the sea and gone. And at the time, we wanted to get rid of the water as quick as we could to drain the fields and to help us so to take pressure off the riverbanks. 
But now we really need that water. And this is why we need a whole complete government rethink into water strategy. And it's not just a simple case of dredging rivers, which does need to be done, but it's massive water storage areas need to be built all around the country so that when we do get these excess rainfalls, we can actually keep that water and then we can access it to, to, um, to feed the crops to obviously then help produce the food. And, and then the more food we produce here in England, obviously, means we have less imports, which at the moment might be of an inferior standard. So it, it really has huge knock-on benefits if we can actually store water. Absolutely. We just have to hope that, yeah, government <laughs> gets its act together for that, to be honest. That's so. what we need. We need we need the government on board and to fully understand agriculture and what we put into uh, producing food while looking after the environment. Do you think, Andrew, I mean, I know you, you sit on various boards and you're involved with DEFRA. Do you think the government really gets the severity of this and not just like as a sort of one-off flood or one-off drought do you think they genuinely understand that this is going to be like a problem like a long term like you said a long-term problem and it's going to become the norm i don't think they do at the minute really and, and we're constantly telling them on these calls that how bad the situation is but there's just one or two things that such as the reduction in the single farm payment that was planned for next year and yeah we all know that there needs to be a whole review of the cap as it was called and of the system that we're going to be implementing now. We know that. But the thing is that the change really, it needs to be looking at as well payment, the reduction in the payments uh, needs delaying because the next year is going to be one of the most awful years for the whole farming industry that we can imagine. We have one farmer a week committing suicide, which is an awful statistic, but that's reality. And I can't see it getting better with the amount of pressures that's put on farmers. And it's just that we just need everybody to realise what pressures are on farmers and, and what causes these pressures. It's in, and a lot of the, the, sometimes the causes can be, be changed and sometimes the causes can be rectified. And with, with that in mind, how can people get in touch if they need help? Yeah, if anybody wants any help, obviously through our website, we have a good website that we haven't actually just looking at updating at at the moment, but contact us on, on the Forage Aid website. And also we have a phone number as well that they can uh, they can contact, which is on the website. And, and we do have a couple of, uh, we have some forms that they can fill in. We have a database. So if farmers know they're going to have some surplus of silage or straw, and I'd like to donate that. We can, uh, we've got a good database. We spent quite a lot of money on last year and it's just been tried for the first time this last few months. And it's very good at, at um, uh, logging all the details. And the same as well, there's a site, there's an area on the website for farmers who would want help themselves. So really it's all through our website at the moment. And if you'd like some help from Forage Aid, the helpline is 07967 219991 or you can email info at forageaid.org.uk if you'd like to donate you can go to forageaid.org.uk and if you'd like extra help from the farming community network the helpline is 03000 111999 or help at fcn.org.uk Thanks for that report, Jez. Now, here with me, we've got Cedric Porter, who works on FG's business desk. 
and Cedric, for a man who keeps a close eye on all markets, whether, as we've just heard, there is, you know, it will continue to be a big factor going forward. And of course, on top of that, there's coronavirus as well. How are things looking and have things settled down a little bit? Thanks, Liv. Uh, yeah, I think things settled down a, a bit. I mean, we're still very, the whole market still shows it's how exposed it is to uh, food food service sales and any farmer or any supply chains that's really been focused on that. We've seen that in milk, we've seen that in meat, we've seen that in uh, potatoes and whatever, that uh, if you're exposed to the food service, then that has been very, very difficult. We've seen an increase of about 10% of sales of general food and more in, in that in retail. But, you know, obviously closing the food service sector is going to have a big effect. So that will continue to impact. Hopefully things will start to reopen. I don't think we can expect them to reopen fully and being anything back to anything like normal but some of the sort of takeaway places some of the coffee shops fish and chip shops and things like that will be reopening so that hopefully will will increase the demand there for uh, and we've you know we've got mcdonald's opening again next week in terms of takeaways and, and drive-throughs and things like that and on the weather yeah i mean all, all to play for i think june july particularly for some of those crops that uh, that re- rely on the weather potatoes and some of the um, cereal crops as well june july will be very important so if you have a really um, dry june and july then things really will be really quite difficult and obviously the same with with forage as well but this is this is a drought that's across the whole of northern europe uh, so we're seeing cereal expectations across Europe and, of course, they're to a month ahead of us, crop development there. So that's really starting to hit in places like France and whatever. Um, so so it will have a big impact, I think, on markets, particularly if countries around the world are looking to increase their stocks of, of grains and other other things this year um, to keep them sort of um, themselves safe, if you like, secure, uh, food secure in this sort of time of unprecedented uncertainty. And as well as working at FG, Cedric, you're also editor of World Potato Markets, which is a a weekly newsletter. And it's fair to say you're a a bit of a potato buff, aren't you? What's it looking like for potatoes, particularly at the moment? Yeah, well, of course, it's one of the most weather dependent crops and uh, difficult, uh, well, difficult winter for, for, for lifting the old crop quite difficult um, establishing the new crop and then of course uh, this very dry weather is really hitting the um, the, the potato crop now we also had the frost uh, earlier earlier in May uh, so that has had an impact so really yeah farmers um, growers are really quite desperate now for for water for, for rain and I think if we don't get uh, perhaps above average levels in um, June July then then things really might be quite difficult on top of that we've probably seen a reduction in, in UK plantings of about 5% overall, which would take us to one of the smallest um, potato areas, well, really the smallest potato area ever. And that's largely been focused in the cutting back and processing potato planting because of the hit to, to food service by coronavirus. Um, so, so, you know, we could be from going from a period of surplus, particularly in other parts of Europe, there's about 2.6 million tonnes of unsold and uncommitted, uncontracted potatoes, um, processing potatoes across 
um, uh, the main uh, European nations, potato growing nations. So that could go from having surpluses where they're trying to just really get rid of potatoes for animal feed and things like that, or, or wherever they can, to next season being a shortage. Same in America, there's about a 10% decline in plantings in America. So we could, you know, could go from a real question of surplus to a real question of um, a situation of real deficit across the world which you know might actually be quite good for the uk um if, if we've got a reasonable amount of potatoes uh you know that that might firm the market up that notion of potatoes for animal feed is is so interesting isn't it as well and um if anyone wants to know more about the humble spud i urge you to download cedric's new podcast which is called planet potato here's a taster whether you call them pomme de terre patatas kartoffeln ardapplen kartoshka Bitartan, batatas, jimanaki, proti, tudu, alu, or just good old spuds. Welcome to Planet Potato. Cedric, you sound like you have a lot of fun on there with with your wife Anna. What what sort of thing can people expect? Yeah, well, we're tra- it's really for it's not really for the potato industry. Not going to learn a lot about how to grow potatoes or how to sell potatoes. It's more for anyone who loves potatoes, the potato industry, and really to share it with everyone. We're trying to see the world through the prism of the potato, very pretentiously. Um, but uh, so it's about culture. It's about the importance of potatoes in in different parts of the world. The latest uh, episode is about National Potato Day in Peru, uh, and then we've got um, we've we've got lots of sort of phrases from around the world like lash parla patat which is don't let go of the potato it's sort of hang on in there that's from a french canadian term um so it's all that so those weird and wonderful things about potatoes because i think it is one of the most fun friendliest crops of the lot there's everyone loves a potato in in some different forms and you know it's the it's the gem from the earth that just keeps on giving and that's what we really want to celebrate in planet potato and you know yeah we've got uh, listeners in about 35 different countries now so um so yeah no, it's, it's 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 good fun to do uh, and something to celebrate in difficult times fantastic and we all need something uh, fun in our lives at the moment don't we let's uh, let's face it thanks very much for that cedric Now, there's been a lot of talk about the weekly clap for carers, which was set up at the start of the coronavirus pandemic, with some asking if it's now run its course. Well, our reporter Molly Leach has been speaking to one farmer from Chesterfield in Derbyshire, who, despite whatever happens on a Thursday evening, will continue to pay his own special tribute. So I'm now joined by Charlie Smitham, a 20-year-old farmer from Derbyshire, who's been paying his own personal tribute to the NHS and key workers during lockdown. So, Charlie, can you tell us a little bit more about what you've been up to? So, yeah, I've been, I dressed my new olive tractor up with lots of flags and a thank you side to the NHS and key workers. I've been going through all the local villages and some which are stretched out a bit further. It's just to remind people of the importance of our NHS, but also to put community spirit there and get everyone joined back together and keep a smile on everyone's faces, which has been very successful as of yet. And you say it's been an important way of lifting people's spirits. Is this been central to you and, and why you decided to do it? Yeah, it is really, yeah. It's, it's more to keep, yeah, just to keep everybody happy and a smile during this pandemic. You know, it's all doom and gloom and it's to try and just keep everyone smiling. And it's been a way of you know saying thank you to our key and essential workers which you know includes frontline 
workers, but also, you know, farmers and, and food production workers. It was for the NHS and key workers, which farmers are classed as key workers, and, you know, a lot of the time they are forgotten. And I think they are the backbone of all other industries, and without them, without agriculture, those industries wouldn't be able to function. And right. that's the reason why I put it on the tractor, to remind people, you know, farming is part of it all as well. Thanks to Molly and Charlie there. His new Holland is genuinely looking resplendent. And don't forget you can see the tractor in all its glory on our special online hub. Simply go to fginsight.com forward slash coronavirus. Well, that's it for another week. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform to keep notified of all the new episodes of Over the Farm Gate. We'll be back next Tuesday. But from us at Farmers Guardian and the team at the CLA, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show and stay safe and well. Goodbye for now.